0: Which seems like an identity flip, I guess I always thought of them, especially the last few years of them making the playoffs, driven by their pitching and their defense, obviously. But now it seems like the pitching has taken, obviously, a few hits with injuries. Yeah, to see the offense, especially the way the tear that Paul Goldschmidt's been on, a tear, I should say, sorry, this has been longer than a tear. It's been going on for months now. Um, And then wonder, like, what differences will be, what changes uh, internally or from the outside will be needed um, at the trade deadline to improve the pitching staff.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould joined this week, and I'm thrilled to have him. Um, I've wanted to have him on the podcast for a while because I've admired him from afar, shared many a press box with him, had great conversations with him. Passed the time in Jupiter during the great summits that went nowhere for the labor negotiations with him. And that is, of course. The New York Times national baseball writer, James Wagner. James, great to talk to you.
0: Great to talk to you on on this format, I guess. And, you know, after, yeah, doing the real-life format for a while now, (laughs) for years. uh, You know, restaurants, standing outside stadiums, um, sitting in press boxes, standing on fields. So, yeah, great to be here. And and thanks for thinking of me.
1: Yeah, I I had spent a lot of time maybe um, talking to you from the row behind Mm -hmm. you. In Washington, high above, yeah. almost like you know, yeah. Walter and Statler of the Muppets, I got to sit up there and kind of offer criticism of the Washington beat riders below. It was <laughs> an interesting yeah. setup. So James has covered the Washington Nationals, the New York Mets, the New York Yankees, now doing national features and everything for the New York Times. Has covered labor negotiations, covered just amazing spectrum of baseball topics, and we're going to get to those, including your story on Cologne. But first. <laughs> I want to talk Bartolo, to you about like, Bartolo
0: or, or the scent. Oh, I'm,
1: I, that's the team. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'll let people wonder what I'm going to ask. About. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've had your fair share of no hitters. I I've covered one. I've covered multiple near misses, including the one that happened the night before we're recording this. Miles Michaelis goes eight and two thirds of no hit ball, loses it on the final pitch. He throws the 190, 129th pitch. He throws um, the only no hitter. I covered, kind of came with an asterisk because it was johan santana's and the next day they acknowledged that there was a double that carlos beltran hit in the game so if we had replay and then it wouldn't have been a no hitter yeah. but you've covered three
0: right yes yes uh, one by jordan zimmerman um and well i don't know if i'm blanking right now in the year give me a second but then two by max scherzer um in 2015 so i think zimmerman would have been the year before in 2014
1: well what what was that like for you you know i i had two different leads going we're kind of doing a new thing with game story so i had that curveball thrown my way as well trying to figure out how to do a new style game story but still capture the history of the moment yeah. um, but i had two different well i'll be honest i only had one lead going um <laughs> yeah. and then when it fell apart i had to
0: quickly rewrite
1: uh, um you know uh, it didn't happen lead yeah yeah how how, how did you
0: operate that I always wonder how much readers like care about like how the sausage is made, but I guess I'll explain very, very detailed. I mean, yeah, you have multiple leads going at once that uh, he gets it. And then there's a certain amount of, I guess we call B matter in his business. So the background, like how they got there, that still is important, the history. And that you could just copy and paste and have in both of them. Like whether he gets it or almost gets it, you can still have some of that in there. Uh, obviously, if he doesn't get it, you might have less because he you know, obviously didn't do it. You could say it's the closest since x this happened uh but in that sense like uh you know maybe the literal how they got there that day uh you know they scored six runs like what you would include in a regular game story um that it was just like you know maybe he's on seven days rest with uh concern about him throwing 130 pitches like 129 i think uh you could kind of weave that in there and that'll be in both of them no matter what but yeah so you have two leads going and this is one where I think you could take a step back, unless something really dramatic—which one of them did happen—in one of the ones I covered. So, unless something really dramatic happens at the end, um, mm-hmm. you could just take a step back and write something sweepy, I guess you could say, uh, because it is so historic. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman's in 2014 was the first in Washington Nationals history because right. he hadn't been around that long, uh, but it had a, like an absolutely stunning play uh, in the ninth inning uh, where you know Stephen Souza Jr. made the incredible catch. On the final play of the game uh this incredible diving catch uh all-out effort to like seal the no-hitter and it was like you know so i ended up actually writing like a story just on that and my colleague at the time adam kilgore wrote the game story uh and then i focused only on um the you know the catch because that there was it was such an incredible moment there's always kind of like it was just kind of that rule of thumb where's that one defensive play or two that really seals it like a really, really tough play. And so that could mm-hmm. always be an obvious sidebar, but this one literally ended that way. So yeah, there's that way to do it. And then the other two I've covered since, um, were Max Scherzer in 2015, obviously a St. Louis native area native. Um, and
1: yeah, we've heard a little bit about him. Um, he yeah, went, yeah. He also went to a
0: nearby,
1: um, year college. So.
0: There was the one against the pirates where again, in the, in near the end of the game, uh, yeah. he had a perfect game going and, Jose Tabata, you know, whether you, which depends on your point of view, either leaned in to take a slider oh, right, uh, right. on his elbow and it would have preserved, you know, would have, you know, would have not been a, would have been a perfect game if, if not. And then, so that turned into the controversy. So you had, I had the lead of like, he does it. And then it's not that hard to switch that one kind of quickly. If you have the body of the story done, you just quickly have to like, just slam it through. Like he, he almost do a perfect game. And then with X number of outs left in the ninth, it it was completely deflating. He goes from perfect game to still getting a no-hitter. And so there's kind of that clash of emotions where you almost got something even rarer, but still got something fairly rare. Um, And then the one, that same season, doubleheader last weekend of the season, he no-hit the Mets at City Field. Uh, I covered the first game with the game. I did the game story in the first game, and my colleague at the time, Chelsea James, did the game story the second game. Um, And also the manager was in the hot seat, so I think I was making phone calls and uh, preparing to cover and report that. She wrote the game story for the second game, in which you know hit the Mets, uh, that doubleheader. And so, yeah, and he's had one-hitters that I've covered where I was freaking out because I didn't have anything on the page <laughs> in the seventh inning because, the, you know, all of a sudden you look up, it's the seventh inning or fifth inning because he's just blowing by the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, and he sometimes has said that that's one of his best games, a one-hitter, like it was like 16 strikeouts in Milwaukee. He was just mowing these guys down. And yeah, then in yeah. 2016, he had a 20-strikeout a twenty strikeout performance, which is incredibly rare and he had the opportunity to set major league history with 21 um, and he didn't, didn't do it, but he had that last inning. So you're also, that's another historic moment where you, you have it ready. You have it like you write it as if he's going to break it because he had, he had such a prime opportunity to do so. And then you just kind of tone it back down. If he just, just ties the major league record, which is still 20 strikeouts. That was unbelievable too. So
1: Yeah. How much do you feel kind of the weight of, of the moment there, trying to capture, especially, I mean, his, there were times where it seems there probably still are times when he comes back from his injury, where it seems like Scherzer's on the threshold of doing something great every time he releases. Yeah, even at, yeah,
0: even at his age last year with the Dodgers, um, yeah, like, with the same game that he got three thousand, he had like a no, he had a no hitter going. I think, um, yeah. but, am I remember? It was it that same game? Um, but yes, he, even at his age, like his age, sorry, <laughs> his late thirties, he can still do this, uh, given his mastery of his body and then obviously his command and his pitches, but yeah, you do feel the weight of the moment. It can be kind of crippling if you focus on that only. I guess you just mm-hmm. learn with time, and you've done this longer than I have to, I guess, tone it down or channel that. Um, and sometimes, you know, like maybe you're just feeling it that day, writing-wise, you're not feeling it. But, I mean, as I always tell myself, worse comes to worst." If all else fails, say what happened. And saying what happened, describing the dramatic moment, you know, like uh, how he celebrates after he gets the final out, mm-hmm. like a quick paragraph. You can, you can lead that way if you need to. Uh, when all else fails, just say what happened. and You can lean on the kind of anecdotal observational things. If if the words aren't hitting you like with the big sweep, I guess, if that makes sense.
1: I have never been accused of toning it down. <laughs> so just, yeah. to, just to be fair, I have never, you know, I I think, you, you know, what's the old phrase? You can never overwrite an injury. You can yes. never overwrite uh, a no hitter. Though, like I said, I've only had the, the one experience. But you do want to try to like go, oh, well, I better not make this like this long, elaborate, you know, 80 word. Uh, mm-hmm. anecdotal lead it's like you know just get to the point like he did mm-hmm. so he and to that's why I
0: describing the last play whether it's that catch or, or yeah. you know or, you know maybe he falls to the ground because he's so exhausted or you know whatever it might be uh Mick I think in his case sorry I always say his name wrong uh pronounce it wrong uh sorry. just putting his hands on his knees after that ball the double falls in right beyond Harrison Bader's glove I mean I didn't get a chance to read your game story yet today I was gonna do that later but like that could be an easy moment to describe like just, like. just just that, just how he lost it, and then, and then had to watch the rest of it from the dugout.
1: We we're trying something a little different with game story, so people who listen to the podcast and also read the coverage will notice that, like the immediate game story that goes up is kind of more like, here are moments in the game, here's some background on those moments, here's how they worked in concert to create the game but it's kind of like a sampler you can read a little bit we you know it's observations from the rider um so it wasn't just the no hitter there was also conversation about gorman's uh plays it was a double Mm -hmm. header so there was discussion about the base running play that Mm -hmm. nolan gorman had where he ran through second as opposed to slid into second and thus stole a run um and then we come back with more of like a deeper dive it's for the web and it goes up every morning and so mm-hmm. there were two different ways so i, I in, a, in effect i got two swings at it um, mm-hmm. to try to get it right uh, when you're so now that you're like more on a national and I, you kind of bend towards some of the stories that you've written i mean you're watching these games you watch the final inning of, of the michaelis outing you're watching these games maybe for broader stories you could tell now you go mm-hmm. to the ballpark you are you looking for bigger stories that you can write than just kind of like the microcosm of a day.
0: Yeah. I mean, in this sense, potentially, I don't think I was going to do it, but like potentially, uh, you know, we do a quick little very short story, acknowledging no hitters. It's it's historic though, even though we're not there, just telling people, this is the, you know, X no hitter this season X of the, of baseball history. Uh, And it was done by this guy, but um, you know, there was like, sometimes I'm watching because there's a certain trend. Remember during the pandemic, um last year there was a you know a surge of no hitters mm-hmm. uh, in the first half of the season and then the, they died down in the second half after they started enforcing the foreign substance rule. Uh, right. so sometimes it's not necessarily just to write about that one but just to keep tabs on those larger trends or issues that are going on and just you know personal understanding, keeping tabs on teams um, and understanding like what you know who's doing well if a guy comes out of nowhere and does a no hitter there's there's plenty there's been plenty of those. Uh, kind of unlikely ones, guy in his sixth, seventh start of his career throwing a no-hitter mm-hmm. uh, versus an established guy or one, guy who's been around a long time or a few years. So yeah, keeping tabs on those storylines and trends, I guess. Um, and I think yesterday I was watching and blanking what other game I was and the, the MLB TV app on my TV, you know, I, I think the, sorry, the app like does this like a little alert at the top that said, you know, uh, that he was three outs away. So he flipped over and watched that last inning. Uh, yeah, I just like watching that at bat uh yeah I didn't want to say I felt it coming but it was just like I mean he was (laughs) I mean he was still throwing hard though he's throwing 94 uh he was still the curveball he was throwing it down and in uh so it seemed like he had command uh but I mean you get I mean late high 120s is a lot and never having been a pitcher but having talked to them about how it feels like I mean it does feel exhausting I I can imagine how exhausted he was was even though I think afterward he said he was in the best best shape of his life and yeah, so second game of a doubleheader near no-hitters or no-hitters, they always get you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're always, it takes a lot of stamina to get through for just everybody involved.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: How – so now the question about Cologne. Sure. You worked for, is it fair to say months on this story about why there's such a – I don't even know how to describe it. Why players smell so aromatic on the field? Is that a good way to put it?
0: Uh-huh. Well, I was going to so like worked, uh, actively worked on, I would say months. Yeah. But I mean, you know, uh, thought you about by years for years. Yeah. So, you know, when I covered the Nats a long time ago at the Washington post, like they, you know, I covered the beat reporters. So you're around the team every day and you know, you're you around players and I'm a native Spanish speaker. So I know the Latin American players and they're the ones that really like, you know, as far as like in reporting, this are the ones that have told me, you know, other players have told me too, that they're the ones really driving this trend. Um, not that American players aren't doing it, but the Latin American players have really helped spread this around. And it's very common in Latin American culture just to use cologne in your regular everyday life. It's going to the supermarket, going out to dinner with friends. And I think maybe in other cultures, maybe it's less. I'm not saying that other cultures do not also do the same thing, but if, among Latinos, at least that's the case. So I remember there's two players, Rafael Soriano, the closer at the time, would spray himself with cologne before he went out even to shag fly balls uh, or go out to, you know, the, the pregame workout. And I I remember joking around with him. I was like, why are you doing that? It's, you know, the game, like, even even if you're going to do it, like, why for practice and not the game? Uh, And then another player, uh, Miguel Gonzalez, uh, Mm -hmm. former closer. He's a reliever. He was on the team at the time. He used so much cologne, perfume, scents that you would shake his hand and you go out to watch V.P., so you're not going to go, like, wash your hands. Immediately, You're just shaking his hand. And, like, hours later, your hand would still smell like what he smelled like because he had so much wow. of it on. Um, so I remember, like, I so just filed that story, away.
1: this story quite literally stuck with you.
0: Yeah, but I never thought to, like, turn it into a story until last year in the playoffs. You know, I knew of these anecdotes, and I joked around about them for years, laugh about it, but I never thought to, like, turn it into a story until the playoffs last year. Uh, Framber Valdez, a pitcher for the Houston Astros, is also a big cologne user. Uh, to the point where just even talking to him standing next to him talking to him you, you smell it um even for practice uh and so it just like the light bulb went off and, and i found out his nickname uh la grasa which means literally the fat in spanish but it's kind of like also you know um it's kind of it's a it also kind of signifies like his style it's like you know his yeah. swag uh yeah. and so it's like this is kind of funny like i filed it away and i was like you know what uh i'm gonna do this so spring training uh as i'm going bouncing around writing other stories about teams or players or trends or news uh yeah i just would stop a player and ask them about this and so just you know as i made my way around to get as many voices as possible to collect as many of the funniest anecdotes uh that's how the story came about and just how who uses it the most um why they do it some guys that don't do it and their funny answers as to why uh how a few players use perfume such as you know victoria's secrets cologne and, and they swear by it and they you know like alcides escobar and salvador perez when they were kansas city royals used it every day uh for years and they won a world series doing so Uh it was their superstition and, and even other players commenting and laughing about you know smelling players you know on the field as they run by because they smell yeah. strongly or the catcher and umpires at home plate uh you know, getting the sent the first the the first look at every player's scent that day, <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah.
1: How enjoyable was it? I mean, was it was it difficult to get the guys to open up about it? Or how oh, no, he, how was, no, no, okay.
0: No, no. As you can imagine, you know, like, you know, not that we shouldn't be asking them baseball questions all the time. That's their primary job, and that's what our focus is. You know, that's what we cover them for what you know their performance on the field or not, uh, I and mean, what's going on with the team. You know, those larger issues. Uh, but you know they do appreciate every once in a while, as you know, uh, talking about themselves or something kind of more offbeat or something in this case, which was funny and also cultural. Uh, and so no, it was not hard to get them to talk about this. Uh, a lot of laughter, reporting it, and a lot of laughter writing it. Uh, we had some fun with it too, I think, and hopefully the way we presented it online, uh, things like that, yeah. And just yeah, just a way to show a different you know behind the scenes slice of baseball culture and baseball life, um, and also. You know to write about a different scent or sorry a different sense of you know sense of smell uh that that you know players other maybe sorry fans and don't get to see or feel or smell or or hear uh at the ballpark because they're not on the field around those guys
1: yeah they don't get close enough to get a whiff of yeah. this kind of news right
0: yes that's one way to put it yeah there's <laughs> a lot of ways which i was you know i thought about kind of slipping more puns in there but i you know uh, in the story, I didn't really put many in there cause I just let the uh, kind of comments and jokes and, de- and anecdotes carry themselves. I didn't want to yeah. put Get some puns the in there, but yeah. man, at one point I had a few in there and I just like, I took them out. So <laughs> yeah, well, you, I can, admire- you, you can smell coming from a long, a while away, you know, ways away, <laughs> that too. Yeah. I,
1: I admire your discretion. I would not have been as strong. I would have not been able <laughs> yeah. to, uh, yeah. I would have, I would have held my nose and plunged in
0: to all the puns so yeah i mean you talk to like experts too and i didn't include them in the story about oh really wow full sense of smell and how you know how strongly it's tied to memory and emotion perhaps even more than other other senses senses sorry um and how you know your body gets conditioned to a certain smell so you put on the same cologne every day after a while you're not going to smell it you're used to it your body's conditioned to it Uh. but it's more maybe the mental aspect of the doing this this is my routine this is i'm getting this is a special this is getting in the right frame of mind for me and that's mm-hmm. why i do it uh but it's still this experts told me like it's still some co- subconsciously triggers a part of your brain that triggers them those emotions in ways that maybe other senses don't do and that's- so i had that all stuff all that stuff in there too and we just had to chop it. the story would have been unwieldy and too long but there was I, I loved that it i mean I-
1: yeah I, th- I thought it was enjoyable. I love the design aspect where they had the baseball cards with like the scouting report on the perfume yes. profiles and stuff yeah. like that. It was sharp, and that's still available at NYT or NY Times, New York Times website and on the app. There, you can also find James' story where he went to a salsa club with Toronto's manager, right?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Charlie Montoya. I don't, I don't, uh, no, I don't know. I not how familiar the your listeners are to well, the he's American
1: guy with uh, Jose Aquendo. So he was on Jose Okendo's World Baseball Classic staff. And actually, Okendo will send Montoya salsa music. That's something that he's done for years. So, yeah, that story's there. You, You have, like, a broad beat now. And you can find stories throughout the country and around the world related to baseball. So naturally, the biggest story in baseball is in your backyard, right? And that's that both New York teams are good.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Both records, you know, best records in each league. I think as of even still this morning, uh, still the best record in each league. Uh, And just, yeah, it's like, you know, I think, you know, last year there were hints of this too. Um, You know, the Yankees maybe weren't in the same position, obviously leading their division, but they were good enough to make the playoffs and the Mets were in first place for four months of last season before they fell apart. Uh, So this is, you know, there's hints of this or it's happened before, as you know, the subway series world series a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Yeah, we're obviously very, that's too far ahead of myself if I even say that. But, yes, to see both teams this good, uh, you know, and I think people argue over whether there's a real rivalry between them. And I don't even know if that really matters. They they play each other every year, sure, but they're not playing for the same thing until, you know, the last week of October. Uh, But, yeah, I think to see people this excited, um, and I think more than anything, uh, to see how different the teams are. Uh, This Mets team is very different. From last year, I think the players they went out and got from Mark Kana to Eduardo Escobar to Chris Bassett to Max Scherzer, uh, like true professionals in that way, have been a huge lift uh, to the clubhouse and the way they carry themselves and the way they behave. Professional players, both on the mound and at the plate, in, the, in their performance, uh, and I think that's had a huge impact on the team because you saw last year with the Mets being in first place for four months and then just absolutely collapsing like in weeks they were in in like fourth place. Um, so I think there's a different character and type of player that they have, although older, uh, like Starling Marte as well, older, more experienced, but I think that will serve them much better this year, uh, clearer, maybe mission on an idea on how to improve their owner, you know, their billionaire owner, Steve Cohen was around last year too. Uh, but I think the things that they would just need to improve can come at the deadline, whether it's another starter or help in the bullpen or something like that, um, they're not as large as last year, where I think they had other issues too. You know, the I, I poor performance at shortstop. Like the the yeah. guys, some guys that were weren't playing as well last year uh, are playing a lot better this year.
1: I, I kind of see the the two New York teams this way, and tell me if if I'm oversimplifying, but the Mets yes. are trying to recreate a culture or just completely create a new culture, and the Yankees are trying to reclaim one. Um, Cardinal fans are super frustrated for obvious reasons because it's been since 2011 that they have won a World Series championship since 2013, since they won a National League pennant. And in that time since, the Dodgers have just become this monster and they're moving in on the Cardinals brand. Well, imagine what the Yankees must feel like, right? It's been since 2009, since their championship. They've gone more than a full decade without really vying for a championship, which is their very I mean that's the essence of the Yankees, right? Have, so, as that, am I oversimplifying they're trying to, re, you know, reclaim one, and the Mets are trying to just become vastly different as a culture than they've been for years?
0: Yeah, and it, you know, like this is the old knock on you know the father and son debate where George Steinbrenner and and Hal Steinbrenner, the current owner, father would measure the team's success in World Championships, obviously World Series wins, um, titles, and uh, the son. I mean, some fans would argue it doesn't, but like, you know, they're still winning. They put themselves in a position to win and be in the playoffs almost all those years since 2009. Just shows you how hard it is to, I mean, I guess, sorry, it's, it just underscores how incredible the accomplishment, was, accomplishment of the Yankees, those three the three straight years that they won a World Series yeah, and how yeah. impossible that was to do. And especially nowadays uh, with, you know, revenue sharing, par- more parity in some in some ways, um, harder it is to repeat that. Um, and so, yeah, they're trying to reclaim that part of their identity. I mean, the relevance—they are relevant every year. They're the most valuable franchise um, in baseball, than among the world, like in the world. So, in that mm-hmm. sense, like business-wise, they're not unsuccessful. Being in contention in the, for the playoffs and winning every year helps them, helps their brand. Like it's grown since the last time they won the World Series. So that, in that aspect, it, they haven't done poorly. Uh, it's just that final step that they have not achieved and i think again i mean i'm not saying that they're going to do it this year but what stands out to me again about how different this team is uh at least just watching them i mean the bullpen has always been a trademark of this team of these teams under brian cashman over the last few years that's something the analytics department and their scouting department really hone in on finding those undervalued relievers or or guys on another team that throw those big tall hard throwing guys that they can unlock another level and, and they happen they've done that now with a guy like Clay holmes that they got from pittsburgh we would have seen many many times there uh and he's unlocked a lo- another level and been there filling closer and unstoppable uh so the bullpen is good the starting rotation has gotten even better with guys like nestor cortez who you know uh has turned i guess a smaller frame yeah. and you would say lesser stuff i guess um into like an elite pitcher with his guile his command, uh, his ability to kind of fool opponents with timing. So the rotation has been very, very good. I guess what stands out to me more than anything, if having covered that team and watched them the last several years, is how much their defense has improved. They're more athletic defensively, and they're more athletic in terms of how they run, um, too, on the bases. Uh, you know, they're not running into as many outs. They're not clogging up the bases. They still have those big, strong, with those big, hairy monsters, like Brian Cashman calls them. Uh, big guys that hit home runs, but they have kind of fewer of them in that way. Uh, the Gary Sanchez and, and Luke Voigt, who they you know either traded or let go. Um, sorry, both traded. Sorry, uh, but yeah. replaced them with guys like, um, you know, like IKF, uh, who plays great defense at shortstop. And you know, while he's a more contact hitter, uh, maybe not going to hit a lot of home runs. He strikes out fewer times um, and plays solid defense, which allows Glaber Torres, who was struggling at de- uh, defensively at shortstop. Uh, to go back to a more comfortable position, which has also helped his offense as well. Uh, so things like upgrading a catcher. Again, two guys that maybe aren't power hitters, uh Jose Trevino and Kyle Higashioka, but two like two guys that defensively uh, carry way more weight than Sanchez was before. So they're improving awesome. their defense. Like they just look so different by yeah. having a better defense. It's uh, and as, as as covering the Cardinals as you as you can imagine, as sorry, as you know and your listeners know. Uh, it just goes a long way. It's it's so simple, but it's just the multiplying effect of fewer pitches on the pitcher, fewer stress innings for them, just easier outs, getting the offense back on the field, uh, back at the plate, sorry, getting the defense off the field. It just, it compounds over time. The fewer pitchers, fewer outs. Uh, when you just have a better defense, it just makes even routine plays better.
1: So. I mean, every team benefits when it goes to the ballpark with something it can trust. Yeah, because the game is so I mean, hitting comes and goes. There's going to be the day where the starter who might win a Cy young, it just might not have it that day. Yeah. But the one thing that, you know, a baseball team can go to the ballpark and count on is base running if it gets on base and defense, which it doesn't need to get on base or do anything but just show up. If you can rely on defense that puts them ahead of the game because it gives them a constant where other teams have none.
0: Yes, and that's like a. Uh... Those are easy, like areas, maybe on the edge of the roster and the edge of your performance. They sound like yeah. the edge, but they really are priorities that st- taking the extra base here, uh, going first to third, scoring on a wild pitch. It sounds so small and so obvious, and maybe you'd ignore, but you know, I should even call those maybe edges of your play. But those are huge because that's something everyone can do um, and everyone can do better, um, especially defensively. Maybe you won't be a gold glover, but that's a way you can improve potentially without having to go out and get a new a whole new defense or a whole new lineup or whatever it is.
1: Besides rocking the mustache, what has Matt Carpenter brought to the Yankees and and where does he kind of fit in with them?
0: Yeah. I mean like looking at his numbers, even in triple a with the Rangers, like clearly he was a better hitter, a different hitter. He had changed his swing, gotten better. uh, And I guess he didn't really have an opportunity to be a DH there. And so they both mutually agreed to let him go. Uh, But yeah, he didn't have an opportunity there, even though I know he wanted to be home um and potentially play there uh closer to home sorry but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like if if you know a guy with a remade swing that can pull the ball in the air uh to right field especially a lefty like that is like perfect for yankee stadium and that's what you've seen Uh, a lot of home runs uh a guy who's not asked to do like a ton uh you know he's not maybe the starting third baseman like he used to be uh but he is a role player who will hit you those home runs just down the line um at Yankee Stadium. So he's hit some into the second deck. I don't mean to shortchange him either. But uh yeah, that style of hitter uh you know adding more balance to the lineup, which the Yankees had tried to do and have done and now helps as a left-handed hitter in what was normally previously a very right handed heavy lineup. The
1: Yankees are off to just a remarkable start. Um, You mentioned the rotation, a big part of that, the offense, a big part of that. You know, Aaron Judge, a huge part of that, who is still yet to reconcile his arbitration case with the Yankees. So that still hangs out there along with his free agency. Are they good enough to keep this? I mean, are we looking at not just the best team in baseball, but one of the best teams in recent years? Is that what we're watching possibly?
0: I don't know if I'll go that far. I know their winning percentage right now is incredible. It's like, what, it 738? Is. Like I mean, yeah. that's a really... I mean, that's like, what, 100... And, I, I forgot to do the math this morning. What, 110-plus wins? Yeah, that's the pace. I mean, I it's record-setting, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, so they would beat the Mariners' uh, mm-hmm. record? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Well, they I'm would not beat sh-
1: the 714 of the most recent Yankees team that went out and won 125 games total.
0: There you go. So... Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I'm ready to think about it that way. I mean, even though I think I should. I mean, we're still not halfway through the season. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they are playing at an incredible rate. Um, you know, they let me double check. I think they lead everyone. They lead all of baseball in uh, uh, run differential. So yeah. clearly, all the things we were talking about—allowing runs and scoring runs—they're um, doing it better than anyone else. So it's a very well-rounded team in that way. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I've thought about it that way, even though I probably should think about how. Uh, you know how far they will go and if they'll set those records, uh, I just think by far when I watch them every day, I think I saw the stat yesterday that they have the most come from behind wins in baseball and the fewest uh, come from behind losses, I guess, So like it just shows wow. you that like they um, they come back to win games and they don't give up games uh, when they're ahead. So that just shows you that like they're a very solid all around team um, that has not imploded yet and they haven't really hit a tough stretch per se uh they've had a couple losses here and there but not hit that long losing stretch or even a short losing stretch uh that you'd expect any team to hit so i know i'm probably not giving you a straight answer i just no, don't know that's fine uh, they just they they, they they just all around look better than i remember in recent history for sure
1: one of the more remarkable things that i've seen here locally over the past few days is you talk about come from behind wins is, is the cardinals were down five they came back to beat the pirates and then they sweep the pirates in a, d- a double header. And it's like, well, you know, the Cardinals are in first place. They've, they've, uh, they've heightened their lead in the division to two and a half games. But here's what struck me is they've won three consecutive against a Pirates team that just looks overmatched. And mm-hmm. the Pirates are in third place mm-hmm. in this division. What's the view from afar um, from the capital of baseball this year of the Cardinals and what maybe, you know, th- this, specifically this race in the NL central how, how it could play out with three teams just already bowing out.
0: Yeah, and that's the toughest. I mean, coming from the team we just talked about, the American League East, where three teams, I think, at the playoffs started today. The top three mm-hmm. teams would claim would claim a spot in the playoffs. Yankees, uh, so four of them, sorry. Yankees, Toronto, Tampa, and Boston. Uh, so, it's. I mean, it just shows you how impressive what the Yankees have been doing is. Sorry, what they've been doing, given the mm-hmm. division they play in. Yeah, and then, like, you know, you can only play who's in front of you, and it's not, you know, the Cardinals' fault that the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds have packed, basically, you know, folded, uh, not, not tried this year. Uh, you know, they're still rebuilding, or they've gotten rid of a lot of players, like in the Reds' case. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, I'll see Milwaukee tonight. I'm going to go to City Field and see them. Um, so I guess I'm surprised that they've been hitting the ball. Uh, because I was concerned that that was an area of theirs as had been last year in the playoffs in the Mm -hmm. second half of last season. I'm not sure how that was going to hold up for them this year. I know injuries now is their other concern too. But yeah, I was watching the Cardinals. I mean, I always figured it would be those two teams, Milwaukee versus St. Louis, Uh, potentially Milwaukee with the edge, just giving how strong their starting rotation is. But those have taken some hits too this year and guys like Freddie Peralta going down. But um, St. Louis, I guess I was impressed to see Maybe I don't say surprised, but how good the offense has been, um, and maybe the pitching, uh, which has been a little weaker, but the offense, I guess, looking at just runs scored though too, I think it was higher than I maybe perhaps expected. Mm-hmm. Um, you could correct me if I'm wrong there. But, no, it is. I yeah. mean it's
1: a, it's a, it's they have been subpar, below average for three years running, and this year they're in, near the tops. I mean, they're they're they rank alongside where well far above what they have recently. Um, in both runs scored but also performance they're also near the bottom in strikeout rate which stands out so they're hitting the ball harder they're getting more hits as a result they're producing more runs and they're missing the ball less than most other teams um it should be it doted. seems like an identity
0: flip i guess i always thought of them especially the last few years right. making the playoffs driven by their pitching and their right. defense obviously but now it seems like the pitching has taken obviously a few hits with injuries as you know steven Nats and jordan hicks but like And other guys are just not performing as well. But, yeah, to see the offense, especially the way the tear that Paul Goldschmidt's been on, a tear, I should say. Sorry, this has been longer than a tear. It's been going on for months now. But, uh, yeah, this is the way he's performing. Um, And then wonder, like, what differences will be, like, what changes uh, internally or from the outside will be needed um, at the trade deadline to improve the pitching staff. Do you think the
1: Cardinals are in the conversation with the top teams or have they uh, over the years maybe moved to the periphery of that? I mean, the Dodgers take up so much oxygen in the national league. Um, The Mets want to, and have the payroll and the personalities now to do so to back their, their, uh, their roster. Um, The Braves have won what, 12 games in a row. Um, It's tied for the second longest winning streak in recent history um, behind obviously the Cardinals 17 game last year, but do you, are they just always there and then overlooked, or are they forcing their way into the national conversation?
0: I mean, I, I think if you did a ranking, of top three teams every year. I don't know if I put them up there, but I think teams that are just terms of consistency uh, the last several years. Um, I know there was that lull, I think, where they didn't make the playoffs. I want to say what you know, 16 to yeah, 18, three consecutive years. Um, yeah. yep. But then before that, the long string of uh, again playoff appearances, even win, you know, win, reaching a World Series, winning a World Series. A little lull, and then again. So I think in the overall scheme, I mean, if, if any other fan base would take what the last twenty years of Cardinals baseball, they would take it out on a heartbeat. So maybe not a top three franchise in that way, or top three team uh, right now, but I think maybe that next tier right there, uh, where I think other teams view them as a very consistent model in that way. Uh, maybe not the level of the Dodgers because the Dodgers do outspend everybody, and then the Mets, who are also their owner, has openly said that's the model he, that's the franchise he wants to emulate. Uh, the the Huge player development system, but then also, you know, as he's shown, just going out and buying players. You have the two-headed monster of uh, spending um, and then also developing. So, I I mean, unless the Cardinals are going to go spend like that, um, I think it's admirable and impressive that they've been able to do this without that level of spending. And other teams see that in them. Uh, But like you said, are they the the elite team? I would say no. But that next tier right there, in terms of consistency, I think everyone, players I've talked to, players that ended up signing there, uh, that's among the reasons why they wanted to be there, too.
1: That's James Wagner, national baseball writer for the New York Times. James, I, I tell you this in person. Now I get to tell you it on the on the podcast. I just appreciate the zeal and creativity that you bring to whatever beat you're on, whether it's on one of the teams or now a broader, larger, looking at bigger issues. Sorry, though, I always think that you were looking for those. So I, I appreciate you taking this time. Big fan of your work. Hope everybody goes and checks out both the the fun stories that you've done the creative stories that you've done but also some of the labor coverage if they want to revisit some of that and get the ins and outs
0: <laughs> you don't know what, uh, you
1: <laughs> what was going on that yeah, was good it, i mean you know context is hard especially as all yeah. that is speeding by and you know it, it, you have these lulls and everybody wants to fill the vacuum of lulls with speculation and i think you the vacuum of lulls in the negotiations with information and that was greatly appreciated
0: well i'd say like anything like uh this is one of those creative stories i just i just follow my nose. So. <laughs> i just had a hold well that in there thank you well for done. having me i appreciate it man. great to be on here
1: the best podcast in baseball is a production of stltoday.com the st louis post dispatch and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts on itunes spotify wherever please rate and review rate and review the podcast i learn a lot from the reviews on there i check them out just to see if the podcast is headed in the direction the community expects um this podcast in its 10th year would not exist if not for the interest that the listeners have shown and the direction and opinion that the listeners have shown. Subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, you can find all of the Constant Cardinals coverage from Rick Hummel, Ben Fredrickson, Benjamin Hockman, and the Pinch Hits crew at STLToday.com and STL Pinch Hits. That's also where you can find Daniel Guerrero's minor league podcast. It's available only on STL Pinch Hits. So look for that there. He gives you a weekly update on what's going on in the Cardinals minor league system. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design. For the best podcast in baseball and STLToday.com, I'm St. Louis Post Dispatch Baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon.